Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of uh, Tales from the Cloud. Hey, Mike, how are you today? Good, thank you, Felipe. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So today we have, um, we are going to start talking about technology. So this is our first episode talking, uh, well, not necessarily technology, but the foundations uh, that we went through for uh, cloud projects, right? So I, I, I've been, I've been, guess, in Microsoft for, as I said, seven years and going through some of these projects from scratch, like when Azure was, I'd say, beginning in the enterprise, and Mike as well. Mike as well has been involved since the beginning in, in some projects, right, Mike? Yeah, I've been here. I just celebrated my five-year anniversary, and uh, I've seen customers go from you know no cloud, barely considering cloud, to you know, migrating mission critical applications where it's, it's now just a sort of default implement choice, pardon me, default implementation choice for many. Yeah, awesome. So we've, we've seen we've seen some some um, great experience. We've seen some things going uh, not so well. Um, and Microsoft itself came up with uh, a framework, I guess, from all the all the folks around in the field seeing those those pitfalls and those things that went well. So we're going to talk about that in the end. But let's start with us uh, sharing some of uh, our own learnings um, in Project Script being part of it. So um, I would say that most of the projects we have been involved are on financial services industry here in Canada, in the financial services industry here in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have some experience in, back in, in Brazil as well with other, other in different industries. And I'll be interesting just to 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 do the comparison here. Um, yep. And so we can start from there. So Mike, I, I think I'll I'll start with you know a chat more. But if you could start sharing your side of the story, uh, probably get a you know a project that you've worked on and things that you've observed, uh, and then we can compare. And I can share mine. We can compare. For sure, for sure. Yeah, the, the two the two things where I think customers really struggled in the early going with cloud, one was on I'll say just the nature of workloads that could move. With almost every cloud project, especially if there's any sort of you know sensitivity to the data that will be resident in the cloud, one of the things we found that really held customers back in the early going was a lack of clarity around the nature of types of data that they would permit to go to the cloud. So there was questions, is it legal? Do we have internal guidelines against it? And it was just a lot of spinning of wheels. So the, you know, one observation was the quicker customers got to have a very um, clear-cut set of guidelines around what types of workloads and specifically what types of data could live in the cloud, that was a huge accelerant in terms of adoption. Because otherwise, every project went through you know, potentially months of trying to find the right person who could give the sign-off on whether the data would go, who was willing to accept the risk. And then a real, and sort of adjunct to that, a real lack of clarity on whether any restrictions were, I will say externally mandated in the sense that, you know, was there a law that said you couldn't go to the cloud? There was a lot of, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt around that in the early going, or whether it was just an internal policy. So that so, was one that was consistent across many customers at the time. So Mike, are we talking about, um... Regulations from the from the industry are we talking as well from a perspective on data classification, right? I think, yep. and, and that's I think from my comparison and and just hearing you say uh, we went through a bunch of projects back in in Brazil and here where oh regulation doesn't allow us to do this and that, uh, but which was 
uh, in the end of the day, not you know very uh, um, um, consistent with what the regulation said. Um, Precisely. It, right. I think it's just like misinterpretation. Misinterpretation, right? Oh yeah, there's all you can. There's all these kind of, I mean, old wives' tales, and forgive the analogy, but mm -hmm. you know, you have to hold data for this long, and this data can't go there. Is it's there's there's usually not laws that state that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are they yeah. are out there, but in so many cases, it was the lack of clarity about whether, you know, we just decide you can't go to the cloud, and that's fine. If you just, mm -hmm. as a risk management practice, say we don't want a certain type of data to go, feel free, right? Mm -hmm. It's just make sure you understand why you're saying that, right? If there's yeah. a project that just naturally belongs in the cloud and would have so many benefits, but you know that there's essentially some made-up regulation or you know internal you know belief that's not really grounded in reality, right? Yeah. So it was kind of codifying that. And where we, you know, customers as they matured with cloud, you would see them adopt something like a cloud council, cloud governance team, cloud adoption team, whatever you wanted to call mm -hmm. it. But they started doing a much better job of kind of codifying the rules. Yep. You know, if you have data that is classified internally as X, it has to be treated in this way. If it's classified as Y, it cannot go to the cloud, et cetera. It was what that really did was just gave the project teams clarity. You, know, yeah. you didn't have to go figure out who to talk to. You didn't have to try and understand who was the owner of the risk of the data and whatnot. And it just became so much easier. So that was one of the real stumbling blocks that you know we think customers have gotten a lot better at. Most of them do have now a functioning cloud governance capability a big part of which is understanding the you know, appropriate placement of data. Yeah, I know it makes total sense. And I think one of the things I've stumbled you know, talking about, you know, regulation data classification is that um, it's hard, like it's hard. Sometimes when you, you evaluate a, a provider, if it's either a cloud provider or a data center provider, mm -hmm. um, you need to evaluate also from the perspective of the certifications and, and policies that this provider implements, right? So if Absolutely. you trust your, you know, your own uh, certifications, uh, ISO uh, or any other ones, um, PCI, etc., cetera, uh, cloud providers usually also have those uh, certifications. Of course, it's not, as it is not in your data center, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's not only a, a way of the cloud provider to be responsible for everything, you have still to have the application and, and controls around the application to achieve such certification and, and, and be audited for that, right? Oh um, yeah, that's a vital So it's a joint, a joint responsibility in the end of the day, right? Yeah, if, I mean, you go to the Azure Trust Center, there's the eye chart that has the, you know, 50 logos and all the other ones written down. You come to realize pretty quickly that you know, no level, no amount of infrastructure is going to get you compliance with most certifications. There's almost always a, you know, internal technology and a process component that goes along with it as well. But in terms of just the, you know, bare bones certifications, that's actually one area where I think cloud can really accelerate things for customers because, you know, just economies of scale. For us to certify relative to some particular ISO spec is something we can do in a manner that's just a lot more efficient than most customers would ever be able to do on their own. And it's not a question of good or bad. It's just, again, economies of scale. Yeah. And, and so if you had to say also from, you know, this experience you had, uh, projects that, you know, sometimes you deliver and then someone comes over and say, oh, what's this one doing in the cloud? And then it starts a whole uh, uh, a discussion around, you know, the, how things go. So and, and is there is there something that you've you've been through a uh, uh, project like that? Did it get some, to cloud? I'd say like like some sort of a shadow IT, for example, right? Um, oh, countless times. Right. That's cloud became incredibly frictionless for customers. 
and I'm not justifying this, but what you, in the story we heard many, many times was, you know, internal IT is some combination of slow and flexible, annoying to deal with, whatever. So with the proverbial swipe of a credit card, you were able to stand up a, you know, parallel data center. True, true. And make copies of whatever data you wanted. And, you know, it's, I think it's Peter Parker's uncle, right? With great power becomes, or comes great responsibility. And mm-hmm. it's easy when things are going well. Right? Yeah, shadow IT is fantastic. We can get rid of all the annoying friction in IT, and then all of a sudden, if something goes wrong, you're going to wish you had those people who were, you know, slowing things down with process and governance and things like that. So, yeah, shadow IT, especially, me, specifically on cloud, was very popular in the early going because lines of business just wanted what they want. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to wait. They don't want to be at the back of the line for anything. So, cloud gave them a very easy way, and not necessarily a recommended way, in any by any, you know, stretch of the term here, but. Um, very easy way to get stuff up and running. What we're sort of seeing now is, I think in many respects, that started to induce mm-hmm. behavior change in core IT. Because cloud is going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Right. The ease with which things can be done, the you know new technology you can get a hand on very quickly, the own, or renting model versus owning model, it's just too lucrative. So yeah. I think in some sense, shadow IT, while negative from a security and compliance perspective, did kind of... Um, move the goalpost a little bit for mm-hmm. corporate IT and force them to kind of get on the train, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so just so we went to that, through that uh, side, I kind of uh, side discussion. If we just, if we just, let's just roll back a piece and, and if we can just clarify to everyone, because sometimes we talk about cloud and people are editing AWS, right? Uh, Google Cloud Platform. Azure and other providers. Um, mm-hmm. But there is much, because we're talking about shadow IT and business actually, you know, signing up for services, we have m- more than that, right? So we have okay. things like, so basically cloud is divided into uh, IS, uh, PaaS, yep. and, and, and SaaS, right? Uh, and have people have other classification these days uh, for, for other, other things, but overall that's the, the uh, NIST classification for, for cloud. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we look at infrastructure, then of course you have migration from applications, you have uh, virtual machines, migrations, et servers, and et cetera. If you go into uh, PaaS, you have you know services migration. So I want a database and please Microsoft take care of the overall thing for me, SLA, and just provide me the database itself, like a SQL mm-hmm. server, right? And I think for business users, the last one is the one that they use the most. So if I want to see a RAM solution, right, I'm not going to build one from scratch. I'm just going to sign up for Dynamic, Salesforce, and I'm just going to put like five users and start using it, right? So yep. that's the easiest path for these guys. And that's actually where uh, the information might get all around uh, uh, without really control. And that's where shadow IT comes over. So you business st- start to kind of uh, manage their IT infrastructure in that case. Um, uh, it, it, that's kind of how, how uh, these all, I think this can get out, out of control, right? right? Yep. Because yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, certainly the large scale SaaS providers, you would have the same level of assurance over, you know, ownership of data security as you would with one of the big three cloud providers. But there's a lot of different levels of SaaS providers out there too. And every copy of that data does come with some risk and has then integration burdens that come with it. And again, it was when things go well, it was fine, right? We swipe the credit card, do what we want to do. And then someone asks, well, hey, I want to integrate A with B, right? Nobody in the low code, no code part of the world thought of that, right? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have solutions that do that, but it's just to sort of say that there was this percep- you know, perception that you could sort of, you know, 
we've been trying to get rid of IT for 50 years, right? Through whatever types of solutions. And SaaS was always believed to be one that could do that. And it, it has that element to it. But at the same time, it just creates a different kind of work. Yeah, 100%. Right? 100%. You've gone from building applications to integrating applications, which is fine. Maybe it's perhaps a more value-added activity, but it still does require some level of technical capability. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, so, and so thinking about that, like what, mm -hmm. what in our customer experience, I think things that went wrong for me uh, are actually around that. So sometimes, yep. you know, uh, customer IT, an IT inside a customer discovers that the business is doing something, then that data that's there, that's probably, uh, uh, you know, sensitive data that you couldn't have that exposure. Uh, yep. customer data, for example. So you have to do a huge a job of kind of uh, fixing that up. So your company is actually audited in the right way, uh, you know, Absolutely. so you have the right uh, certifications and etc. especially if you're a financial service provider. Uh, and yep. also what I'd say from my like Azure itself implementations that I've been through, um, after, other than defining strategies, something like you, you can talk, we can talk more later is that, um, some projects like really in the beginning they started just like okay let me do this project uh, i have a, you know a, a green greenfield project that i want to start in the cloud um yeah. and i'm just going to set up my infrastructure without really con any control um let's go with that uh, and at some point this becomes so big so huge that uh, you need to go back and refactor the whole infrastructure that you set up for the cloud and then you start to think about the cloud as as a, actually an extension of your of your company in your data center uh, and so on and so forth which come back to <laughs> controls from it audit etc yep. etc et right? well you wouldn't just walk into a you know building that has a couple of computers plugged in and start uploading customer data so you wouldn't do you shouldn't do that with the cloud either yeah right yeah question for you to what extent was networking a challenge because another like my two biggest stumbling blocks one was what we alluded to earlier that idea of data placement with respect to your compliance obligations the other it wasn't it wasn't that it was done wrong it was just it took a long time because if anyone's ever worked in corporate it you, you know there's many truths about it but one of them was network changes are not done haphazardly and they always take mm -hmm. a long time so the other foundational element that i was curious about your experience with was networking like how much of an impediment was that to adoption early on yeah it, it i think um, I'd say that's a huge impediment in general, uh, especially if you want to integrate um, data and applications that are on-premises with the yep. data and applications that are in the cloud, right? Uh, I see a lot of, I'd say that the biggest concern I've had, especially in one of my customers in the very early stage was like, how am I going to move this data? Not only, and it, it wasn't really, um, um, the sensitive data, but how are we going to move these terabytes of data to, to, to the cloud uh, in the current circumstances that we have today? So networking being one of them, uh, how, how long is it going to take, so on and so forth. Uh, so this was usually one of the concerns that we had to go through. Um, and in the end of the day today, uh, today every single you know, discussion we have for a new project goes through that. Oh, do we have express route or do we have a direct connection between my data center and the cloud? Um, yep. Because the applications need that um, interaction. And to be like, so like one of the things that is more curious about one of the projects I've been, and it was a big data advanced, advanced analytics project right in the beginning, was the ability for the data scientist or the data engineer to access those resources. So, 
if I remember correctly, like we had to have like two hops uh, of like virtual machines to get into a stage. So um, yep. we'd go into a virtual machine and then from there into Guacamole uh, to access a third uh, party uh, application. So the data science will have to be in a double virtualized environment. Uh, so when he would type a letter A, it would take like three seconds <laughs> for the letter A to, to appear in the screen. So that was a yeah, big, fun. big issue, I guess, in the beginning. Oh yeah, that's sort of the, the, the proverbial jump box has been, you yeah. know, that's been around as old as there's been IT. It's funny, you know, when we demo it, we go right into the portal and show everyone how easy it is. And then when the customers actually have to do it, it's usually through you know, two or three layers of virtualization on top of that. So yeah, exactly. fire everywhere. Yeah, so that's, and this goes around like uh, what we're gonna, like what we talked in the beginning and what like things that are, are come to us. So, so what's the strategy? Sometimes just go through, well, what's my motivation for moving to the cloud? You know, what are the business outcomes I want to, to, to make and take? What is the uh, business justification? Um, and then sometimes we do forget about some of the requirements which are still being usable and uh, having usability from a customer perspective, right? Uh, and those first plans of uh, cloud adoption, skill readiness, blah, blah, blah. And as you said, networking requirements, application requirements, uh, data requirements, right? So uh, usually, and usually networking, setting up firewalls, uh, buying other appliance because my appliance is old enough, it doesn't talk to the cloud properly. This takes like three, six months, right? Depending yep. on, on the organization. So those are big challenges for sure that um, we didn't, I'd say, uh, uh, um, no, I'd say almost no in the beginning, or that at least I didn't know in the beginning when I started. No, I don't, I'm loath to use terms like pioneers because it sounds a little pretentious, but I mean, in the literal sense of the word, when you're doing something new, what you find is people tend to all converge on the same set of decisions, maybe in a different order, maybe at a different pace. But when you kind of look at the early adopters and where they wound up, they all kind of wound up in the same place, right? Mm -hmm. So some interesting work that's gone on after the fact, and we can certainly look back and wish we had it early on, was to really sort of codify some of that learning, right? To again, take all the learning and expertise gleaned from those engagements and try and give people a bit more of a, you know, accelerant, right? Mm -hmm. Can you can you not have to derive what we derive from first principles, right? So maybe that will serve as a segue into, and as you alluded to in the last little bit there, this idea of a cloud adoption framework. Mm -hmm. So we've actually produced something. It's a body of knowledge that's freely available. You just have to Google it, look up Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework. And what it really tries to do is you know, address the issues we talked about just based on our organic experience, but give you a much more, I'd say structured and then prescriptive way to think about adopting cloud. Rather, you know, if you're new to cloud, right? If you're a customer that's thinking about it, one of the things I think this does a really good job of is not just say, hey, you need to create these many virtual networks and these many Azure subscriptions, but it really bookends that with a lot of good content around, you know, strategy, right? Why are you here? What are you planning on doing? What goals do you have? How are you going to measure them, right? All the way through the operational side of it, which we think it's really important because it's tempting to look at it strictly and somewhat myopically through the lens of implementation, mm -hmm. right? Physically, what are the assets going to look like in this, you know, data center as a service, so to speak. But we find if you don't really surround that with a lot of the more interesting contextual information, again, the projects can fail. And it's, it, it, you know, it's not even because it's implemented incorrectly. It just can be that you didn't deliver on the requirements that were actually there. True, true. You know? So maybe what we can do now is just walk, give, give you a you know listener a sense of what cloud adoption framework is. We'll probably call it CAF, C-A-F, just for short, for the sake of brevity. Give you a sense of what it is, what are the core building blocks, and then 
kind of leave you with that for today. Yep. Awesome. So, so as we, I think we mentioned a couple of them. So, um, if we think about you know a life cycle, overall life cycle of uh, of cloud implementations, we can talk about yep. right define the strategy. So, strategy meaning motivations, business outcomes, etc. Uh, planning really. So, understanding what your organization has uh, in terms of uh, digital state, uh, understanding um, and and planning for the applications you have, what's going to happen to them. So we mentioned briefly around IaaS, uh, PaaS, yeah. and SaaS, right? So I think we, we have those this concept of the five R's of rationalization. So rehost, uh, yep. refactor, rearchitect, rebuild, and replace. So what you're going to do with application? What in what order of priority, right? Uh, is, because in the end of the day, might even have applications that will just uh, you know, go to the graveyard and, and be there. Uh, what you need to do to be ready. So ready meaning uh, how do you setting up your Azure environment? So the concept of having landing zones, uh, policies, governance around the Azure subscription, manageability, so on and so let's forth. Let's unpack these ones here because there's, there's a lot of information. That's so right. Let's talk a little bit yep. about some of these ones. So strategy, the salient points here, at least ones I would want customers to maybe think about. Why are you going to cloud? What do you hope to get out of it? Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's worth writing it down and it's worth measuring it because, you know, like anything that you invest money in, if you're not clear what you're trying to get out of it, you can wind up being disappointed. You know, if you're doing it strictly to save money, then you have to look at it through the lens of cost optimization. Mm -hmm. Similarly, and again, I'm not recommending you do this, but more often than not, you're looking at it through a lens that certainly includes cost, but then agility, quality of service. So just make sure you're understanding, you know, what the goals are you have for the adoption of this technology and then react accordingly. Right. Yeah. Anything from your side on strategy where you think customers have done this well and where you think things worked out? Yeah. So that's definitely like uh, what you said. Like you cannot just look at it as a, at a at a cost, uh, probably because it might get actually sometimes more expensive depending on how you're gonna deliver that. Right. So it really has to be a uh, has a proper business outcome in terms of growth and next st stages. Thinking about everything that the cloud offers. Right. Scalability. Yeah. Um, better manageability, so on and so forth, right? So that's kind of how the business outcome has to align to what the cloud has to offer. For planning, you alluded to those five R's. Uh, I mean, I've got some background in this. I had mm -hmm. the fortune or misfortune, depending on what your perspective on this type <laughs> of work is, but application or workload portfolio management, mm -hmm. right? So you hear the five R's around rationalize. The idea is you have this portfolio of applications and you treat them like investments, mm -hmm. right? Are you going to sink more money into them? Are you going to divest yourself of them or you're going to just let them ride as is but it's you know two things come out of that one do you know your applications all right this is important because you're going to have to make decisions about i mean greenfield sure you're going to go do that in the cloud probably but you know for what you have right you're going to yeah. have to make a decision about are you going to move it as is or are you going to refactor parts of it replatform parts of it what also becomes important to understand is dependencies for as much as knowing what an application is, what we also find is when you imagine pulling that you know noodle out of the pot of pasta, right? Mm -hmm. If one noodle comes out, it's probably a good candidate early on, but when it's big, uh, you know, big fat clump of spaghetti, that's a lot of dependencies and a lot of moving parts, and that will inform your decision making with respect to the types of workloads that move to the cloud. Yeah. Your, your thoughts, Felipe, on readiness. So, you know, there's the we'll, we'll talk about landing zones in a minute because that's an, a pretty important topic. But what other things do you think that you would love to go back in time and tell your customers to do in advance of their sort of Azure journey or cloud journey in general. 
Yeah, so def definitely having a better strategy over uh, tenant management, subscription management, um, and landing zones management. Meaning landing zones management. So meaning that have a very good um, uh, overview on how we're going to use identity because identity is almost everything in the cloud, right? So people yeah. tend to say that identity is the new perimeter, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. How are we going to plan that? Uh, how are we going to plan policies so uh, your team? or your business teams have, have flexibility on deploying things to test. Uh, it's like a sandbox environment in the cloud, but it's mm -hmm. still being compliant to all the policies that you as a company, as an enterprise um, want to have, right? Uh, so those are, for example, Azure policies and so on and so forth. And, and then the management and, and governance is like how you control and monitor everything that's happened. So those are pillars, I think for me, that uh, yep. when I go back, I think that, could have been different in some of my accounts um, and, and some did it the right way. And definitely skilling is another one because, you know, especially yeah. if you look at cloud strictly through the infrastructure lens or reaction sometimes and quite justifiably is, you know, you hear it from, am I, I going to be able to work? Are all my infrastructure people going to have to be looking for new jobs? The answer is mm -hmm. almost always no. Yeah. Right. There, there's more than enough work to do. It certainly changes the nature of it. You're probably not racking servers anymore, but making sure that there is you know, clarity for people in terms of their jobs, their job security, what skills you're going to train them on, hint, hint, yeah. right? Make sure that there is a skilling plan in place, taking advantage of all the wonderful free resources that are out there. Because again, once you go out, you go live with these things, you know, the decades of skills people have in the existing environment, you're going to want to make sure you have something, you know, comparable for when you have live production workloads, right? You don't yeah. want people to be not well-versed in operating Azure or cloud in general. So skilling, I think, and some customers, I think, have done a really good job of that, right? Yeah. You see a lot of, I mean, I think hundreds of people on LinkedIn every other day, there's a new badge from somebody. And it's a good thing, right? It shows yeah. that people out there are, you know, making the effort to learn and be ready for the kind of operational side of this. Definitely. And, you know, I, rem I just remembered when I was at the Microsoft Technology Center back in Brazil, uh, so around six years ago, we actually yeah. had those discussions like, you know, what the cloud's going to bring in terms of even jobs of the future, right? So Microsoft mm -hmm. has, go has gone through this journey, you know, cloud journey, and Absolutely. we actually produced like a white paper on that. And you see that happening today. It's like, it's funny because uh, you don't see, you still see, of course, people that manage infrastructure, but you see much more people that are relying on infrastructure as code, right? They are now DevOps is almost everywhere. So those are things, and a DBA doesn't, take care of a server anymore. It really actually takes care of the data that is on the database and how the, you know, queues are coming through, et cetera, et cetera. So you see that, uh, you know, people get more specialized in their fields, uh, I would say in some areas and, um, and other got broader knowledge around, you know, standard things like, as I said, like DevOps, for example, or things that uh, might be out of the, out there, right? Well, it's a necessity of the, you know, everything's being software defined, right? Your yeah. infrastructure, it, and it's a bit of cliche, but I mean, in, the infrastructure literally is code as far as you're concerned. I mean, as yeah. far as Microsoft or the vendor's concerned, clearly not, right? There's obviously servers and everything else, but from your perspective as a customer, you have to start to treat it as such, right? If you think your virtual server is just like a server you have and you can go in and tweak it and start applying patches without documenting them, very quickly you'll find that this thing becomes unmanageable. So the quicker you can get your head around this idea of treating the cloud estate as just another software artifact and applying all of the very, very good things we do around you know immutability and version control and roll forward and back, you'll, your life will be a lot easier. Yeah, 100%. Right?
and, and maybe let's talk about landing zones because you've alluded to that. So let's maybe leave. So we're probably getting close to time here today. Um, what is it? Why should a customer care? So do you want to talk about a bit? A bit? Yeah, Instead I mean, myself. I talked a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, subscriptions and management groups and all these things. If you're new to Azure, if you're new to the cloud in general, right? It's yes, you can go in and just create a virtual machine, but there's a whole whack of organization that you're going to want to think about applying to those different assets you create. So what the landing zone really speaks to is a couple of things. One, right, the actual, I'll say physical, but kind of wink wink physical in the sense that it's all virtual, but the actual disposition of the assets, right? Where do they sit? How do they relate to one another? What are the different security perimeters that can surround them? And then two, what does the management and operation framework look like? So you can start to think of then organizing the assets in terms of something called subscriptions within Azure, management groups within Azure, and then around that, how do you do monitoring in a coherent way? Because again, you'll find in Azure, every service has its own ability to be monitored. There's little things you can, you know, widgets you can go look at. We can appreciate that at scale, not a good idea. So, yeah. you know, for example, how might you have a enterprise view in the cloud on monitoring? on yeah. identity and security, as Felipe alluded to, policy enforcement. So what the enterprise landing zone, again, is, is a distillation of all of this work that people just sort of did on their own, customer by customer by customer. So you can think of it, for those of you who are you know, fortunate enough to not have lived through this, as a blueprint that can take the learnings that you know many of our largest customers kind of had to do on their own or in conjunction with Microsoft and give you the benefit of what that reference model and architecture can actually look like in the cloud. So this one is, and what's nice of it, there's flavors for customers of different sizes. So, so if you just heard all that and said, I don't have nine months and $3 million to go pay consultants to build that big enterprise landing zone, there's many flavors of it that are, I'll say right sizable depending on your needs. Yeah. So it's a very, useful way to accelerate in the right way your early stages of cloud adoption and, and there are there are now uh, we have everything on github right so these uh, yep. these patterns like at least you know as, as a stage to begin with so we're going to find it on github things like oh what if i just want to have infrastructure in the cloud what if i want to have connected back to my environment so on and so forth so you have templates where you can start from yep. and and just dig into that and the main reasons, like, as we are talking about, again, like uh, talking about DevOps concepts and et cetera, uh, these solutions are mostly repetitive, right? And and, and you're going to be able to have a single source. You're going to update that uh, based on new policies that you need to edit or not. And then you basically kind of find an easy way you can deploy it back over to your, to your environment. Otherwise, again, it becomes management hell, no governance, so on and yep. so forth. So these enable you to achieve that level of governance um, that your enterprise uh, demands, that you have, to, that you probably have today on prem at some, you know, yep. at some sort, right? So that's the new kind behavior of... I find it really mm -hmm. forces is, again, what you're going to find is it, it is code. You can call it whatever you want, but it's code. I mean, maybe more like configuration, but we can have that debate later. But one of the things you want to be sure of is that, you know, sometimes DevOps is this, you know, kumbaya, everyone's together, you know, banging a drum and whatnot. But because it's now code, we really want to make sure that the infrastructure adopts software engineering best practices, right? Don't hard code things, parameterize things, seek reuse, right? So this is where the developers really can have a say in shaping the infrastructure and making it that much more deployable across environments, right? What we don't want to have, for example, clone and own. Oh, you have to go edit the dev script and then we're going to copy and paste bits of that into the production script and so on, right? Yeah. Clearly not what we're going to want to be doing. 
Yeah. So as we start, as you think about modularity, reuse, parameterization, right, all the little tricks you do in software, make sure we're employing them there too. And the reason we highlight this is because sometimes it's different people doing that work. It's people who haven't been coders in the past and don't necessarily think that way. True. Right? And just to be honest, like what are we, we're talking here about mostly, you know, what do we know in Azure, but this serves for any cloud provider. They might have their different ways of, uh, you know, landing things. Uh, you might have different tools to do this or that. You either have ARM templates, Terraform. You have many ways of doing achieving the same same purpose. But uh, this concept is super important uh, that permeates uh, any any kind of a, any kind of cloud project that you're going through. Uh, otherwise, like you're gonna be stuck into the, that single project you deployed. And how if you're gonna do the second one, how are you gonna you know? establish the same things for that second and third and fourth. So this gives you a very, very good, as we said in the beginning, a foundation, right, for for enterprise. And again, financial services companies, as I, as me and you, Mike, I worked on that, they, they do it in a specific way to attend some specific standards. Um, companies that are smaller, uh, that don't need that same kind of regulation, they also do that in different ways. But in the end of the day, the concept is the same, the life cycle is the same. Uh, you probably classify data in a different way and so on and so forth, but um, the idea is, 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 is exactly the same for anyone. And so like what I found actually over five years, what's become actually something that's been very you know pleasing is the level of sophistication among these customers now. Yeah. You know, this it's not amateur hour. Like these companies are doing remarkable work in the cloud, and you know, just to see the level of maturation and innovation that's occurring on the back of that is really interesting, right? It's true. There's always this, you know, sometimes people have this idea of you know financial services as this old stodgy you know place that nobody'd want to work, but my goodness, they're doing some amazing stuff in the cloud these days. That's true. That's true. And serving as yeah. usually serving as this the benchmark, right? So these guys are. They're really good at what they do. So, Mike, we oh, are yeah. we are the thirty. Sorry to interrupt you. We are the thirty-fourth minute here. Like, uh, if we can just uh, two minutes to to wrap up. Uh, what? Uh, how? How we? How we end the the, the discussion? Uh, how you want to your final considerations for this this piece? And of course, I think we can talk more deeply about. We're gonna probably talk more deeply about some of these uh, pieces that we mentioned in other episodes. Um, but how we we end this one? Yeah, I've said you know I said it a couple times, but just to make sure you've got something tangible you can take away from this, um, Google or Bing or browser, pardon me, search engine of your choice, Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework. That will be the gateway to all of the documentation that you know gets into quite exhaustive detail on everything we discussed today. In there, you'll find links to the landing zone concept. You can also Google you know Azure Enterprise Landing Zone, and that'll get you directly to it. Uh, wealth of information there. Strongly encourage you to take a look at that. It, you know, again, is going to go way deeper than we were able to in 35 minutes or so. So that's the one thing I'd want to leave everybody with today. Awesome. Yeah, I'll try to add some of those links to the description, so you might, uh, you guys might able to be might be able to find um, if you don't want to search. <laughs> but I'll I'll add those those links to the description of this episode. And yeah, so if you're planning to you know start your journey in the cloud, if you're planning to study uh, for solution architecture exams, be sh- make sure that you you understand these concepts and and, and understand uh, what this brings because this will save you time in the future for sure in terms of uh, you know uh, snack, putting everything is in byte byte size uh, uh, deployer deployable so on and so forth. So. So I think this makes lots of sense to start from. Um, 
and and yeah so that's kind of uh uh you know a very rich discussion uh and i think very dense thank you mike for that i uh, hope you guys enjoyed another episode and uh thank you mike see you in probably two weeks <laughs> absolutely take care felipe and everyone else be well thank you